Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. special guest with us uh, today that's going to be uh, awesome. We were able to spend some time together uh, last night, and it's just, uh, it was just a lot of fun. It's one of those moments where uh, Sarah and I, when we left, we could just feel like the Lord was doing some amazing things, and uh, we're just really excited to see see what happens with today. But um, So we're going to have, uh, if, if Jonathan, we're going to welcome Jonathan up, so if you could uh, welcome him, also known as JT. Yes, and, uh, and so what we're going to do, we always do this, we'll pray over him, and, uh, and then I'll let him, uh, he's in here from Ferguson, right? Is that right? So you're, uh, you're in from Ferguson today, and so we're just wanting to honor him and, and bless him. So Lord, we just bless what you're doing in his life. We ask that you anoint him greater, just a greater increase over his life. Lord, we bless him, his family. The time that he's taken to be here with us, would you return that to him and multiply that back to him, the, the finances it's cost him? Or would you just continue to pour out your blessings on him? We're thankful for him. And we worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, it's truly an honor to be with you. Um, I am deeply humbled by this opportunity and, um, my wife, I have my wife, my daughter, she just went back, my wife Molly is here with me, um, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Um, I am so a product of the faith of faithful women, um, in fact, I, norm, I normally never begin to speak without honoring uh, those praying women in my life. In uh, the book of Timothy, Paul writes to him and he says, I see your faith, which was first in your grandmother, uh, Lois. And so um, I usually began by singing, even though I'm not a singer, come from a family of musicians and singers and uh, that when God was handing out the gifts, he just kind of like threw me a little, a little crumb and gave them like a meal, you know. So, you know, there's people who can sing and then people who can sing. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I got family members, all of my family can sing and I can just sing, you know, <laughs> a little bit. So, uh, so I usually avoid that publicly. But what's amazing is my great grandmother, her name was Mary Kate. She lived, uh, she was born in 1901 on a former slave plantation, the, the, the plantation that our family was on. And uh, so obviously her parents were slaves, but she was not. But she uh, knew that world and, and the song of the Lord came uh, to the black community or came through the black community in the midst of chattel slavery. And so she sang, and, and uh, uh, when she was about 25, 26 years old, she already at that point had seven kids. Um, she went on to have uh, 13. 
Um, but uh, by the time she had had seven kids, she began to feel that the Lord was calling her to preach. Now she's from the deep south. You know that that's controversial. Uh, but she's uh, 26 years old, 1926, 1927. Lord, she said, if you can use a mother, then use me. And so in the great tradition of the Methodist preachers of old, which I've come to find out a little bit that this pulpit and this building and Sam Jones was a Methodist Episcopal preacher, uh, my great-grandmother was ordained by the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, and she began to travel to the sharecropper fields throughout North and South Carolina and other parts of the South, and she said, uh, and she began to do tent revivals, and she began to preach and, uh, and teach, and she was what they call a circuit rider, uh, Mary-Kate, and everywhere she would preach, God would move, and as God began to move, these little congregations began to be formed. And now, if you ride through rural uh, Piedmont, South Carolina, and parts of Western North Carolina, there are churches everywhere with her name in the cornerstone. Somebody say, God can use a mother. No, when I say that, I'm sorry. I come from the black church. When I say that, you actually respond to me, all right? We're going to have a good time. You can talk to me. You know what I'm saying? So somebody look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God can use a mother. Now, we're not going to talk too much to our neighbor today. Uh, uh, actually, if you want the full black church experience, go ahead and put your hands together and give him a clap of praise. He's worthy. <laughs> So, so, but we're not going to talk too much to our neighbor because I really believe God wants to talk to us. But I, I, I tell you this story because I usually begin by paying uh, uh, homage to those great men and women of faith in the bloodline. And I want you to know that my family's story is not just my family's story. It's your story if you are part of the family of God. How many of you know that there is one household and we are living stones being built together into a spiritual house. We're part of what uh, is referred to as the household of the faith. And that means the victories and the failures of your bloodline are my victories and my failures. The victories and the failures of my bloodline are your victories and your failures. We have a shared history and we have a shared uh, a present. We're living in the presence together and we have a shared destiny and a shared inheritance in Jesus. Wow, I'm already starting to preach and I wasn't trying to. I'm just trying to tell stories. Pastor Grant shared with me when uh, Ray Hughes was here. And uh, I was just amazed, not only by the stories, but by his ability to tell the story and to tell it without going into a full-on preach. So <laughs> I'm trying to tell some stories, but I, I say all this to say that my great-grandmother, her favorite song, she would always start by singing Blessed Assurance. And I was amazed to walk in and within seconds, the worship team came out of whatever song they were doing and sang a refrain from Blessed Assurance. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And when I heard that, 
I felt the cloud of witnesses in the room. And I knew that we'd stepped into a divine moment. And that the very balcony of heaven is pulled back on our meeting this morning. Do you understand that when we come into the house of God together, that the whole family in heaven and earth is leaning in on every word? That we're actually coming into this Hebrews 11 reality this morning on a, on a Mother's Day. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. Usually when I preach, I'm, especially now, you know, I, uh, I pastor part-time at a local church. And uh, when I'm not there, I have a nonprofit organization where we're equipping the body of Christ with biblical revelation and worldview concerning race and justice issues. And then I also serve with several revival movements and preach around the nation in different settings and context. And, but on a Sunday morning, you know, you got babies and you got short attention spans, so you have, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get it out there, you know. It's just fast and furious and you hit it. Um, so normally I, I'm more methodical and I have slides and all that, but as I was praying, you know, Lord, what, what are you having me bring here? I was getting nothing until about two nights ago. I'm going to tell you about an en encounter that I had. But before that, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share a storyline. So my great-grandmother circuit rides through the south and churches get established. She carried with her a young uh, daughter of hers who was four years old who played piano for her at four in the tent meetings. She was a savant, meaning she could hear something once or read it once and remember and retain everything. And um, she learned how to move uh, in the spirit, with the spirit, through the sound. And then she ended up growing up, getting trained uh, Juilliard and Curtis Institute in New York, and she wanted to become the world's first black classical pianist. Um, instead, the civil rights movement uh, began to spring up. She was embittered by what was going on in the Deep South, and she became a civil rights musician. And she left America, became a global sensation. Her name is Nina Simone, and she... Um, she was called uh, uh, the high priestess of soul because she knew how to turn any venue into like a religious experience, really from the seedbed of revival that she was cut from, if that makes sense. So there was that heritage. But meanwhile, her sister, my grandmother, she took up the cloth and she followed in the footsteps of my great-grandmother and she became a preacher, a mighty preacher of the gospel. She went to heaven at 48 years old, suddenly. And then my mother, see, I'm talking about the women today. Hopefully you guys are connecting here. But my mother had a very strong prophetic gifting and calling on her life. I grew up in the Missionary Baptist Church, and there was no theological uh, context for, the, for prophecy or the prophetic. She didn't even know she was prophetic. She just was very prophetic. She didn't have language for it. And my entire life, every Saturday, we clean the house. If we didn't have somewhere to go, we're cleaning the house, grocery shopping. And then she would pull away 
for hours on end with her thesaurus and a journal and she's writing and I just thought this is what moms do. Every Saturday you you make pancakes and waffles and, and all that stuff. Then we clean the house, we go to the grocery store, we do stuff that we need to do. Then moms come home, they find a corner in the house and they write. That's what everybody's mom does, that's what I thought. But my entire life, every Saturday, my mom would write, and I would say when I got old enough to actually understand what was going on, I'm like, Mom, what are you doing? What are you writing? And she says, I'm writing a book. And I'd be like, oh, cool. No more questions. That's all I need to know. Maybe five years later, I said, Mom, you're still writing that book? How long does it take, <laughs> take to write a book? And she says, well, it'll, it won't be published till after I die. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of morbid, but all right, cool. I'm writing a book and it won't be published till after I die. Well, on March 30th, 2003, I'm a senior in college and it's a Sunday afternoon, rent's due on Monday. I'm broke, I'm a broke college student. I'm on the phone with mom, hey mom, mom, mama, mommy, momo. <laughs> hey, I need uh I need some money because rent is due. I'm sorry, I won't get paid yet. I can't pay my rent. So she's like, oh, okay, honey. Well, I really feel like there's gonna be a financial breakthrough by the end of the week. I'm like, by the end of the week? My rent's due on Monday. <laughs> well, son, don't worry about it. God's gonna come through. He always does, he always has. Okay, okay, mom. Well, and then she says, but son, I have good news. I said, what? She says, my book, it's almost finished. And I said, really? Well, praise God, it's taking you 21 years, <laughs> you know. Well, that's good. Mom, I thought you said it wouldn't be published till after you died. And she says, well, son, it's almost finished. Three days later, I get a call at six in the morning from my pastor, April 3rd, and he says, hey, son, it's Pastor Moss, it's your mom. She's uh, She didn't wake up. And I thought, it's April 3rd, April Fool's Day is April 1st. This is a cruel joke. You're two days late. I hung up the phone. A few seconds later, my dad called, son, it's your mama. The Lord's taken her from us. I need you to get home. Uh, I won't go into the whole story except that on the way home, my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, drives me six hours across the state of North Carolina. And the whole ride home, we're playing Jason Upton's um, new album that had just come out called Faith. And it was as if every word on that album had been written for me. And I heard the Lord ask me to stand in the gap between life and death for my mother and the whole six hour car ride, he's filling me with faith to believe for her resurrection. I get in the far city, North Carolina, we go to the morgue, they take me to the morgue, we pray for three hours. I, every story about resurrection that I could find in the Bible, I'm reading it, I'm doing it, I'm shutting the door, I'm laying prostrate over her, commanding her to come forth, all these things, I, I, I mean, I'm there, and eventually the security guards, uh, uh, the security guards asked me to leave. That night, I'm confident I made a covenant with the Lord that I wouldn't eat or sleep until she stood up. So I was confident that she was gonna stand up. It's 3 a.m. in the morning, and I see 
the popcorn ceiling in my bedroom pull back and I see her, I believe the Lord allowed me to see her in real time ascending into the heavenlies. She's ascending and she reaches a realm called glory and she begins to spin and dance like a top. And she looks at me with this huge smile on her face and she says, son, I've always wanted to dance like this. And then she just keeps worshiping. And the Lord says, Robin, your youngest son has asked me to allow you to return to your body and I can do that and there'll be great glory in the earth. He says, much fruit, even global acclaim, or those who witness your passing will go farther than you could have ever gone in one lifetime. And she just began to keep dancing and she worshiped and she ascended beyond my view. Then the Lord turned to me and he said, you see, son, your mother has chosen to become a seed in my garden. And unless a seed falls into the ground and withers away, it cannot bear fruit. Now, the interesting thing is the name of her book was called The Garden. And she had this revelation about how we were created to live in intimacy with God, in unbroken fellowship, to walk with him in the garden. And she had this revelation that was far above my head about hope and hope that is seen as temporary, but hope that is unseen is eternal. In fact, the tag on her car said hope. And she had this vision of a place called Hope Gardens, a place called hope, a place where someone broken and desolate and destitute could walk through the front door broken and walk out the back door healed, restored, renewed, connected to the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus being made known, beauty for ashes. She had this deep revelation of the beauty of the garden and the intimacy of walking with God in the cool of the day and, 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 and knowing his footsteps. And it was this deep thing that I was way too young and too spiritually immature to press into or ask her about. But, uh, in that last conversation on March 30th, 2003, she said something else. Not only was her book finished, she says, oh, and I'm pregnant, and my baby is due in August. Now, she was 48 years old, and I knew, I was like, oh, here she goes with that weird spiritual language again. <laughs> okay, mom, good for you. Congratulations, you're pregnant. Make sure I get my rent check. She says, I'm pregnant and my baby is due in August. Well, she passes away three days later in April. And in June, I entered this whirlwind, this radical whirlwind. I was going to New York City, landing a job with a production company to do media and film production. And I'm in New York City and I'm in a prayer meeting and I hear the Lord say, Nashville, Nashville. And I'm like, Nashville, what's in Nashville? Two weeks later, I was in a school of ministry here in Nashville. Two months after that, we start an internship in the school where we have to go and serve in a community in Nashville. And they drive me down out of Brentwood, up towards Nashville, off of Shelby Street, to the James Casey housing community, just a couple of streets over. And we pull up at the Martha O'Brien Center, and the first thing that I notice is a little garden on the right-hand side of it, and there's a sign, and it says, the Garden of Hope. 
All of a sudden, I feel the same presence of God that I felt at my mom's funeral. I'm tender at this point. It's fresh. It's only three months since I've lost my best friend, my mother, who prayed and fasted for me, who labored and had dreams and visions. And all of a sudden, I feel that presence, and I feel the presence of God, and I know I'm standing and stepping into something. And that August began my internship in East Nashville. One year later, we're there, and God pours out his spirit. 30 rival gang members come to the Lord in power. I wish I had time to tell you the stories, but the power of God began to manifest in that little housing project community. God stretched out the rod of his power by his, with a strong arm and a mighty hand. He began to rip drug dealers and gangbangers out of the kingdom of darkness and set them into the spirit of life. Does anybody have a pulse in here today? Is anybody excited about the fact that God began to move? All of a sudden, I begin to, to meet people and, and encounter situations, single mothers with children in all these different situations, and I'd even walk into rooms and houses, and I'd be like, it feels like deja vu. I feel like I've been here before. Why is this so familiar? And then all of a sudden, I go home, and I open up my mom's book, which happens to be 17 years worth of journaling, and she's journaling dreams and visions, and all of a sudden, this literally happens. I open up her journal and I find a story from January 12, 1989 or, Jan or, or February 22nd, 1992, where my mom says, I had the strangest dream last night. I walked into this little brown apartment and there was a woman with a white shirt and she had a, a baby on her hip and she also had an infant that was, that was malnourished and blah, 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 blah. And she goes in the details of the dreams that she had. This was so strange. I wonder what this means. Maybe it means this. Maybe it means that. And that dream that she had written in her journal was the encounter I had on the streets of Nashville a decade or more later. Over and over again, there were things that God had put in my mom's spirit that she saw before its time and she labored and she prayed and out of those dreams, God gave her a blueprint. And so one of the chapters is the unfolding of a blueprint for spiritual, cultural, and economic renewal. And I had no idea and she had no idea that God was gonna welcome her into the cloud so that the generation coming after her, her sons and daughters could walk in what he had started in her. Why am I telling you this? I want you to know that some of you moved here. You moved to Nashville. Some of you are at this church and you have no idea why you're here. It's so bizarre, it's so random. How did we get here? The circumstances just happened. Pastor Grant, I don't know, I just, I felt like I, I, I wasn't thinking about Nashville, but somehow here I am and next thing you know, we're planting a church. In East Nashville, of all places, I'm here to encourage you this morning that you are not here by some uh, crazy coincidence. The hand of God has been working throughout history through your lineages, through your bloodlines. In fact, some of you, there are ancestors 
thousands of years ago who came through here, maybe as explorers or whatever, and they had an encounter with God, and they said yes to God in that encounter, and then they, they, they pursued it, or maybe they said, wow, that was a wild dream. I don't know what that is, and they kept going, but God says, no, 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 I am watching over your lineage. I'm working through your bloodline because I'm going to raise up at the appointed time a generation that I'm going to fulfill the promise that I began in you. Folks, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I haven't even opened the Bible yet, but we're going there. Don't worry, I'm not a heretic. Listen, there is something of heaven. I'm talking about the keys to the kingdom of God. He is Barak Atah Elehenu Adonai. Two nights ago, I'm just, I'm just going for it today. Is this okay? Trust me, I'm not yelling at you. I'm not yelling. But Ephesians 3 says this, that through the church he makes known the manifold or the multifaceted, the multicolored wisdom of God to powers and principalities. So right now I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to the rulers and the authorities over this region right now. So I'm here today. I'm here today, I'm here to tell you that there's something in the heavens that God wants to shift through you. But in order to do that, you got to get above the times that we're in and you got to get connected with the ancient of days. So two nights ago, I had no idea what I was going to share or speak today. I just said, I know, God, you brought us here. Well, all of a sudden, I post on Instagram that I'm in Nashville. We go to a concert with a friend of mine who came here with a dream and made it, and then he's playing the rhyming, so it's a, that's kind of cool. That's cool. But we go to this concert, and then I post this, this little post, and my brother, who's a worship leader, um, it's funny, you know, some friend, the friends, the, the Henry family who so graciously hosted us, they've been amazing. They said, how often do you see your brother? And I said, well, what's crazy is, I haven't seen him much. We haven't planned to see each other much at all this year, but somehow I'll go to a city and find out that he's there too. Well, two hours later, I post this thing on Instagram. Yeah, we're having a great time in Nashville, and my brother comments. He goes, shut up. <laughs> he goes, dude, I'm landing in Nashville tomorrow morning. <laughs> I say, you got to be kidding me. So at this exact moment, I'm standing here in the place where God showed my mother, who had never even been to Nashville, she showed her this community, and he began to give her prophetic promises and put a baby in her that she would carry for over 20 years in prayer and intercession and faithfulness and never see it, not even know the community itself, but she saw it in the Spirit. She carried it faithfully, and then God would bring me here back to that place and bring her other baby to that place. He's standing up at a pulpit about 20 minutes away right now, preaching right now. Mothers, let me encourage you. What you are carrying is unto eternal fruit 
There are things that you're contending for in your children. Great-grandmothers, you've not seen it yet. You might say, well, I've been praying for 30 years. Keep pressing in. I'm here to tell you, God is honoring the prayers of the saints. The bowls of heaven are being filled, and your labors are not in vain. I haven't even begun to get into the message today. (laughs) Is this okay for somebody, though? So the baby's doing August. In August, the next year, there was an outpouring of the Spirit. And every August of my life and my brother's life, since my mom's death, something radical has happened in our lives or other people's lives around us. So I didn't know what I was going to preach. I found out that my brother is here. I go to bed in awe, and I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? We didn't get to bed until almost 2 in the morning. I was like, I'm crazy. I'm definitely not 21 anymore. (laughs) I was so ready to go to sleep as soon as I started to drool just a little bit. All of a sudden, I hear the Lord thunder over my bed. Baruch atah elekeinu alanai. I, I, didn't even know, I don't even know how to say it right. Maybe some, some of you do. But I hear it. Baruch atah alakenu Adonai. Baruch atah alakenu Adonai. I hear it three times. I wake up. I get my phone and I'm like bleary-eyed Googling. What's this thing, you know? And I discover this phrase. I couldn't even clean it up on my, like, notes. It's all scribbled right here. Baruch atah Adonai, aleheinu melech ha'alom, sheheken yanu vi ki yamana, I don't know, vi heganau lazman hazek. I'm sure Brett can, can pronounce that correct. But it basically is this, blessed are you, the eternal one of our God, ruler of the cosmos who has kept us alive, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this moment. Blessed are you, eternal father, infinite one. The alakenu and alahenu is about the eternal nature of God, the infinite nature of God, and how he has been working throughout history, sustaining us, sustaining our bloodlines, sustaining the, the work of our hands to bring us to this moment. And it's a Hebrews 11 reality. In Hebrews 11, it goes through the hall of fame in our bloodlines. It's, it talks about those who by faith uh, uh, Abel offered to God a more acceptable, acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Uh, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past due, uh, past the age. She considered him faithful who had promised, therefore, From one man and him as good as dead were born many descendants and many as the stars of heaven. They all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised. By faith, Abraham was tested. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, women received back their dead by resurrection. All these things were commended through their faith, but they did not receive What was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from them, 
or apart from us, they should be made perfect. God, this is what God wants to do. God is bringing us into a synergy of the ages. God is bringing the household of the faith into alignment with not only one another in a, in a, in a uh, messianic unity, meaning that we are united not because, you know, we just, you know, have a heart for racial justice and we want to see all peoples and all colors in a humanistic way. No, Jesus on the cross, he died to create a family. We're singing about the blood of Jesus, and the reality is, in the blood of Jesus, we've passed out of our carnal Adamic nature, out of our tribal ethnic identities as a primary identity. We pass across through the veil, through the blood, into a family, and it's a multi-ethnic family. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're born, now the old has passed away, and now I am a new creation. I'm a supernatural being, a part of a supernatural family that sounds like Asians doing what they do. It sounds like Latino people doing the, the bachata do, da, da, in worship. It sounds like African Americans go, oh, 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 oh. You know, it's all of that. No, it's, it's, it's in our worship when somebody steps into a place like this or gets around the family of God. God, they, they, they wonder because the world is still divided in political and tribal ethnic identities, but God says, no, I have an eternal family. So I hear the Lord declare over me, Baruch Atah Elokeinu Adonai, and then he says, I am restoring the family altar and releasing the family inheritance. I'm restoring the family altar. Now, this is wild because that night uh, uh, I was staying in the same house with a couple of generations of a family, the Henry family and then uh, uh, the, their, the, the grandpa. We all stayed in grandpa's house, and I felt like the Lord says, I'm bringing you all, I'm bringing my family into the same house. You see, we've been so divided on so many levels in so many ways, but God is bringing the family in heaven and the family on earth into the same house. You know, my mom is not dead. She's actually more alive than you and I are. But let me tell you what's crazy. What's crazy is this year on April 3rd, which is the anniversary of when she stepped into heaven, my brother and I, accidentally not knowing we would both be in Waco, Texas, we both ended up on Waco, in Waco, Texas on the day that was the anniversary of her transition to heaven. And we ministered together. So in 2004, the outpouring of the Spirit happens. In 2006, God gives me a dream to do something here in East, East Nashville. I won't go into all the details. 2007, that dream uh, connects me with some key leaders in this city, and I was able to be a part of putting together a gathering that happened here in Nashville, just right over there in the Titan Stadium called the Call Nashville 7707. I pray on the stage for East Nashville at that gathering. Then the Lord has me and my wife move to Indianapolis where something that he promised me would happen here actually ended up happening in East, in Indianapolis. We labor in Indianapolis for seven years. On the east side of Indianapolis, 
not knowing that that was the home to a, a historic revivalist named Mariah Woodworth Eder, a woman who was a tent revivalist. Mariah Woodworth Eder operated in some of the most profound miracles, signs, and wonders. In fact, she would preach, and when she would preach, she would go into a trance and hold her finger up like this, and all of a sudden, sometimes she'd stand here for eight to nine hours, frozen, just like this, not saying a word, and yet everybody in the room would be taken up in the spirit. There are stories, documented stories of people actually leaving their bodies in the spirit, going to hell, falling out for, like they were dead for three or four days. People thought they were dead, and then they'd come up screaming for salvation. They'd return to their bodies screaming for salvation. Miracles would work out documented in cities that she went to where whole hospitals were empty. Doctors would bring their sick to the tent, and within getting within a certain radius of the tent, they would be healed and delivered and set free. Have you ever heard? Anybody ever heard of Mariah Woodworth Eder? Mariah Woodworth Eder was one of the greatest evangelists this side of the book of Acts, and she's not as well known because she was a woman. I had no idea that the work that God began here would take me to East Indianapolis on the street where she's buried. And during that time, I began to have encounters with the cloud of witnesses. Now, I know, again, you guys are like, man, this is weird. Look, I grew up Baptist, okay? <laughs> you think it's weird. <laughs> I find myself all of a sudden laboring and digging in the place where there was a well that had been sealed shut. There was water in the ground. There was a miraculous evangelistic well dug by this tent evangelist who was a female named Mariah Woodworth Eder. And all of a sudden, I begin to have dreams where I'm sitting at the table with Mariah Woodworth Eder having conversations. And then this community forms around us, and Jeremiah 6.16 becomes our scriptural uh, 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 directive Stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient past where the good way is that you may walk in it. So we begin to pray, God, you did it in her day, do it again. Lord, give us the ancient past. We want to walk in the ancient past. And we begin to do evangelistic events and see pretty profound things happen. And then we thought, well, she had a tent. Maybe we need to do a tent. So we do a tent. We pitch a tent in downtown Indianapolis. And little did I know that all of a sudden, the Lord would begin to, to speak to me about a coming national tent revival movement. And he tells me that as we begin to do the old thing, he was going to release a dimension of the new thing like we've never seen before. And one example of, uh, of how he speaks to me and how this happened was I was invited to speak at a conference in D.C. called the Hilltop Conference, and I couldn't go because our car conked out. It bit the dust. Another one bites the dust. Um, and, uh, and so my wife's like, hey, you got to go and, and get us a new car. And she wanted a hybrid. Um, she wanted a Prius. I was like, I'll be the only black guy in America in a Prius. But okay, anything for you, babe. 
So I spend my whole day, and honestly, I'm mad because all my friends were going to be at this conference. I really wanted to be at this hilltop conference, and but I'm like, you know, family, family over, you know, all that stuff. So, so I'm in the the dealer negotiating with this guy, and I end up getting this Toyota Prius, and and um, I, I have to go back on Monday to finish some paperwork at the dealer, and I'm driving down the highway. My friend calls me from. DC, he was leading worship at the conference, and he says, JT, bro, this conference was crazy. I was like, I know, don't tell me about it, <laughs> you know, fear of missing out. And um, he's like, no, no, no. This guy walks up to me while I was leading worship, after I was leading worship, and handed me a watch, and it's, uh, it's, it's a bull of a watch. Now, What's crazy is the symbol of a bulova is a tuning fork. Any musicians in the room? Only one musician, wow. This is an anomaly in Nashville. <laughs> like, but, uh, but, but, so a tuning fork is basically when you strike it, it releases a frequency that all the other instruments come into alignment and tune to the sound or the frequency of that tuning fork. Now it's vertical. Now, what's interesting is we had just received a prophetic word about this tuning fork. It was called the tuning fork word, and it was a real personal word, but the bottom line is, he says, you won't believe. It's a tuning fork. It's a bull of a watch, and I said, that's crazy, and he says, JT, what is this fork? What is this fork? At that exact moment, I wish I, wish I, I had the pictures on my laptop. I would have put it up here if I knew I was telling this story, but at that exact moment, a semi-truck pulls up beside my car, and on the side of the semi-truck, in huge letters, is a fork, and it says, this is a fork. <laughs> he says, what is, what is this fork? And it says, this is a fork. I said, Darian, you are not going to believe this, bro. <laughs> there is a semi-truck with a fork. On the side of it, and I'm, I'm like trying not to wreck. I've got one hand, cell phone in my hand, <laughs> you know, one hand on the wheel, Jesus take the wheel. I don't know how I drove, but the point is I took a picture of it, and then it switches lanes. Now, it was a fork like a four-pronged fork that you eat with. It switches lanes, and on the other side of the semi-truck was a picture of a huge white tent, like the old tent revivals of old, and thousands of people trying to get into the tent. And I, said, and I took a picture of that, and I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me, and, and I felt like the Lord said, I'm about to release a new vehicle to the church. It's a hybrid vehicle. You have to understand, I'm driving a hybrid, a Prius, brand new. And he says, I'm releasing a new vehicle to the church. It's a hybrid of the old and the new, he says, as you go to the tents and you ascend the hill of the Lord. Now, remember, he was at the hilltop conference. He says, as you ascend the hill of the Lord in the tents and you begin to release the tuning fork, and there's two prongs on a tuning fork. One prong was worship and the other prong is proclamation. As you worship me in the tents and you proclaim me horizontally to the people around you, I'm going to release a Matthew 22 banqueting table to a generation. 
And I felt like the Lord was saying, I am going to release a new vehicle for renewal in this nation, and it's the tent revivals of old with a dimension of power like the earth has never seen. Now, I didn't know that separate from me, a guy in, Washington, in the Washington, D.C. area in Virginia was also getting a download from the Lord named David Bradshaw, and he would go on to call the whole nation to the mall at Washington, D.C., in a gathering called Awaken the Dawn, 51 tents, a tent from every state. So we connect, and next thing you know, I'm on the leadership team for Awaken the Dawn. And so I returned to Nashville. I'm tying all this together, folks. I returned to Nashville. You still with me? Anybody alive today? Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Is he worthy? So I returned to Nashville on April 28th, 2017, the first time I'm back ministering in Nashville since we moved away over a decade ago. And on April 28th, I'm here with the Awaken the Dawn leadership team speaking to a room full of pastoral and ministry leaders here in Nashville in order to begin to envision them for Awaken the Dawn in DC. While I was here speaking, Literally, while I'm preaching, I get a phone call that my father is sick in the hospital, and the doctor basically on that call says, I don't know if he has 24 hours to live. So I leave here, and I go to North Carolina, and we spend two weeks, and my dad suddenly, um, you know, that was the last two weeks of his life here on earth. And so he passed away on May 11th, 2017. And so he enters the cloud of witnesses on May 11th. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, so yesterday was May 11th, the two-year anniversary. So on April 3rd of this year, me and my brother were in the same city of Waco, Texas on the anniversary of my mom's death unexpectedly. And then yesterday, me and my brother were here in Nashville on the anniversary of my dad's death, unexpectedly. What does this have to do with what I'm telling you? It's because Ephesians 3 says that we were named by a father, the whole family in earth, on earth and in heaven was named by a father. Fathers define and give definition and identity. Mothers enter into travail and they bring forth birth. They nurture. And I believe that we've stepped into a moment where God is restoring the family altar and there are spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers who have labored for generations and they've stepped into the cloud of witnesses and their labors have brought us even here in this building on this morning at this time, at this dispensation in history to bring forth something that has been in the heart and the plan of heaven throughout the ages. And when I came back in July last year, 2018, I was invited to speak at a church called One Stone, which I think is real close to here. 
The second time I would preach here in Nashville, and it was very similar. I didn't know what I was going to speak until all of a sudden I heard the Lord driving to the church. Talk about a last minute. I heard the Lord say a, a full sentence. He said, as worship intensifies, as worship intensifies, the water levels will rise. And as the water levels rise, Jesus will be glorified. And as Jesus is glorified, glory will be multiplied. I don't know if y'all got that. As worship intensifies, the water levels will rise. As the water levels rise, Jesus will be glorified. As Jesus is glorified, glory will be multiplied. And so I shared this, this, this word about what I believed was the coming revival in Nashville. That there was a, a Zusa type moment coming to Nashville where all of a sudden there would be a corporate altar built in the city where the whole family comes to the altar and begins to worship. The water levels of worship and glory would rise in this region and that glory would be multiplied to the ends of the earth. Well, I'm listening this morning to Ray Hughes' sermon, and all of a sudden, I get an education on this Sam Jones guy, and I realize something that he passed away in 1906, which was also the year of the start of the Azusa Street Revival in L.A., and the key, the key characteristic of the Azusa Street Revival was that the color line was washed away in the blood. Blacks and whites and Asians and, 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 and everybody of every nation were together encountering the comforter. The power of the Holy Spirit came in Los Angeles and gave birth to the modern-day expression of global Pentecostalism. There was an outpouring of the Spirit and a unity that was unprecedented that if we had continued in, we wouldn't have even had a need for the civil rights movement because the mature, beautiful bride would have already put an end to the injustice of the day. Now, this, this city, a historic Confederate stronghold, is still very divided, believe it or not. And the reality is, Jesus is not after revival for revival's sake. He is after a family, and it's a multi-ethnic and a multicultural family. So I'm listening to Sam Jones, and so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the story of Sam Jones that Ray Hughes was sharing, and I Google it this morning, and I uncover it, 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 this quote, and it says that the marquee of Sam Jones's message was that he, would, he aimed his messages at the most difficult and dangerous people group and peoples in Nashville. So his anointing and his ministry was focused upon, upon the people who were the most dangerous and the most difficult to reach. And somehow, this is Sam Jones's pulpit, and you have found yourself standing in the lineage of the house that Sam Jones built. Could it be that he was a tent revivalist. It says on May 10th, 1886, on May 10th, Sam Jones pitched a tent in Nashville. A 5,000 person tent and 10,000 people 
were trying to get in. Do you know all of a sudden the image of the semi-truck with a white tent that was packed and there were thousands of people on the outside trying to get in, it came to my mind. And I said, oh my gosh, Lord, what are you doing? And I felt like the Lord brought me here. I know this might seem scattered. This guy's loud. I don't get it. I'm not following what he's saying. That's okay. God bless you. You can catch it in the spirit. I'm releasing something to the powers and principalities that's going to get established in the earth. Here's what I'm saying. I believe that God has perhaps given you the Sam Jones anointing. Maybe you're supposed to pitch a tent. What if this house, every family, I didn't even go with the numbers. This whole thing was supposed to be in the book of Numbers. By the way, Numbers 1, everybody. Numbers 1. Numbers 1. Numbers in Leviticus are the most exhilarating books, right? Hold on, if, if you can turn there, I just got to show you this for biblical context. Are you guys doing okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, there we go. Numbers 1. In verse 2 through 4, it says, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head. First of all, a census of the whole nation is ordered. And I just heard that there's a group in Nashville that have prayed for every person in Nashville by name. Do you guys realize how unprecedented that is? The Lord orders the spiritual community of Nashville to take a census and number them by name. Then, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able shall go to war. You and Aaron shall list them company by company. There shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. This is hard for us to comprehend because you have your last name, but you don't, I'm sure you don't introduce yourself as, yes, my name is Clayton Adams. I am third in the household of my fathers. I mean, do you, you don't think about the fact that your last name, you're actually carrying the name of your entire bloodline, your whole lineage. But when God looks at us, he's looking at your father. But I mean, I'm not talking about like your immediate father. He's, he's looking at your father from like Genesis. This is Stephen of the household of Ur. My name is Betsy of the household of Gershon. I mean, do you think, do, do you realize that that's you? That you, you actually are a descendant of Abraham. And so when God looks at you, he's looking at the generational household that you're a part of. And so some of you, there are things that we function in today that were actually assigned to our spiritual mothers and fathers thousands of years ago. So it's interesting in Numbers, in um, like Numbers 3, verse 28, it says, Numbers 3, verse 28, according to 
the number of all the males from a month old and upward, there were 8,600 keeping guard over the sanctuary. The clans of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. So there's a place that they've been assigned to, to live and to camp. And with Elaphine, the son of Uziel, as chief of the father's house of the clans of the Kohathites, and their guard duty, verse 31, involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the vessels of the sanctuary with which the priests minister, and the screen, all the service connected with these. So this clan is put in charge of these, these different uh, activities within the temple. In verse 4, uh, or in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, They shall put on it a covering of goat skin, spread on top of that a cloth of all blue, put, put in its place poles, and over the table of the bread, the presents, they shall spread a cloth. So in other words, they're designers. How many of you have people in your family that, man, they, they just they have a, a eye for design, you know, an eye for fashion? There was a spiritual grace that this clan had been given for the activity of designing and keeping and cleaning and keeping guard over the things that are in the temple. And I believe that in the same way we see the families uh, 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 of Israel and the tribes, they're numbered and they're given a place and a purpose within that place, uniquely within the plan of God for the building of the tabernacle and the temple. You guys, the Nashville Vineyard, the, the sons and daughters of Sam Jones, I believe that God is assigning to different tribes, both in the, the larger body of Christ and the local body of Christ, he is giving assignments according to the graces that were given to our spiritual mothers and fathers to accomplish glory in the earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I believe, is, what, what I believe God sent me here to do today was to invite you into considering could the Sam Jones legacy uh, that you are walking in have, is there unfinished business with what God started through Sam Jones that he's actually asking you to by faith step into? Could your role in Nashville be the ones who minister to the ones in Nashville who are hard to reach, who are dangerous? Could God have you in this place as those who resurrect the altar that Sam Jones began to build, and could we begin to see a great outpouring of the Spirit in Nashville? Maybe you guys are the ones to trumpet putting a tent in downtown Nashville and preaching the gospel five times a day like Sam Jones did. Maybe the Ryman, as cool as it is and historic as it is, maybe God wants to resurrect another tabernacle. Sam Jones' tent was called the tabernacle. And I believe that there's something that God wants to do in this place to resurrect and to bring the synergy of the ages. He resurrected that tabernacle 133 years ago this weekend. 133 years ago this weekend. And I believe it's Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like oil running down Aaron's beard. That's a generational priesthood that runs down. And I think that there's a Psalm 133 invitation that I'm supposed to extend to you today. 
And that invitation is not only a unity with one another, but it's a unity with those who have gone before us, the cloud of witnesses, the synergy of the ages. So the Lord releases a supernatural anointing and blessing for us to operate in that. Do you understand what I'm saying today? All right, would you stand with me? The Lord had me lay hands on my mother because like Elisha, who had to be present when the mantle fell off of Elijah, the Lord wanted me to lay hold, to put my hands on her and say, God, give resurrection to this dream. Give resurrection to this life. And there's a double portion anointing that comes when we come into alignment with those who have gone before us. And when we lay hold of the dreams of God in our day. And so I just want to speak to the dreams and pray. There are some things that, that some of you in this room today, this may have been way over some of your heads and for others this was hitting exactly where you are right now. I just feel that there's a, a grace, there's a double portion anointing that God wants to release on, on you and on this place and in this city as we begin to honor and recognize the labors of those who have gone before us. For the mothers who have, who have wept, who have sown in faith. For the mothers even now in this room who are praying promises and blessings over their children who are nurturing and caring and feeding and clothing and doing all these things. Lord, I thank you for those mothers that are in this room who have actually laid down dreams, laid down successful careers and other things to, to sow their lives into the soil of the next generation. God, for mothers who have grown, gone hopeless because they did those things and right now their children are not serving you. God, we thank you for the prodigals returning right now. Even now, I just feel, I feel grace on that. We call forth the prodigals in Jesus' name. Father, I'm asking you right now, even as we pray all over Nashville, Lord, would you release, would you release the grace to return? Come, let's return to the Lord. We say to the prodigals right now, Father, would you lose grace, God, to, to come back into the family right now? Father, for those that are in this room who did not have a good father, maybe they don't even know their earthly family, I thank you for the revelation of their sonship in the family of God. There's someone in here right now, you've dealt, you've felt, you've walked through such rejection. You've walked through such deep rejection. You've been hesitant, you hesitant to get involved here. You've been rejected at church. God's healed you from some rejection from your family. But even now there's a deeper reality of belonging, of sonship that God wants to bring upon your heart right now. You don't have to raise your hand. But if you can if you want to. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for loosing healing grace right now. I thank you, Jesus, right now that this place would become a place of healing. I thank you, Father, that right now you've grafted us into your family. 
I thank you that you are restoring the family altar. Some of you have not been able to pray together. Married couples, there's been dissension, there's been tension, and the Lord's restoring the altar right now. God, I ask, would you release divine grace to host your presence? To come and tabernacle. To come and tabernacle in relationships. To tabernacle in families. Lord, I pray right now for divine purpose and divine place. Would you just lift your hands all over this room and receiving? God, I ask right now. I ask that you would release divine grace for every person present. To be those who prepare a dwelling place for you. To be carriers of your glory to be stewards of divine mysteries, to release your love in a greater way. Thank you for healing grace. Thank you for deliverance grace. Now, Father, would you give dreams and visions that carry far beyond their lifetimes? Would you awaken minds and hearts to the glorious story, Father, that you are writing through these lives? Bring us into awe and bring us into wonder, I pray. In Jesus' name. For all upcoming events or more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.